Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today or just want to find out more about the ministries of First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org. I thank you, Ken, and the band. You are doing a great job up here. I uh, was telling Ken I was originally trained as a classical musician, but I love contemporary worship music. I'm jealous because the one instrument I never, ever conquered at all was a guitar. I just, I, I tried. I gave it my best effort, and it, it didn't work. Give me a trombone or a trumpet any day. Friends, you can't imagine how, how important this is to me. Because for 40 years of preaching... I never had a church home of my own. And when I retired the first time, <clears throat> seven years ago, Bentonville was going to be it. And then I went back to work for three different times at interim work and just retired again last summer in the midst of the epidemic and it couldn't come to church. And now it's getting to be where I can, and this is my church. And I am so pleased that J.J., a long, long-term friend of mine asked me to come today and fill in. And you just need to know that, that uh, I treasure my relationship as it develops with this congregation to have a church home. Now, today, <clears throat> the scripture passage is rather interesting to me. I, I'm by nature not just a pastor, but a Christian educator. And I would love to spend a few hours with you on this scripture passage, but I'm not going to do that <laughs> because there's so much here. I've had to boil it down to the essentials, the most essential thing I can talk about today. But let me read the scripture passage to you. This is a, a passage which occurs after Jesus has been teaching, and he is tired and he goes home, but he, they won't leave him alone. After he calls his disciples to him, after he's finished teaching, it says in uh, Mark, uh, beginning in the third chapter in the 20th verse, then he went home. And not Nazareth. This is probably Capernaum, his adult home. As you'll see, it's not his home home because his family is not there. Okay, it says, And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, He's gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, Satan. And by the ruler of demons, he cast out demons. And he called them to him, and he spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man then indeed the house can be plundered. 
Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven, will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never be forgiven, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they said to him, He has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, standing outside. They sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The word of God for the people of God this day. Let the people say amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, let that which I say be according to your will. And that which we each hear that moves us in some way be closer to you. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, this passage is nothing but trouble. I mean, you've got several things going on. We could talk about that unforgivable sin. And people, people latch on that because they're afraid maybe I've committed it. Well, okay, let me put that to rest real quick. If in any way you're worried about it or have thought about it, you didn't commit the sin. Because the scripture is very clear. He's talking to those who have come, who are doubting his, who he is and what he's saying. And they can't be forgiven because they don't want to be. They have their own agenda going on. The very fact that you're here seeking God in some way is affirmation that this is not you. Okay. Having put that aside, what I really want to get to is the issue of family. Jesus has apparently got a reputation going which says he's a great healer, a great teacher, and those in authority don't like it. They think he's possessed. And his family hears about it. And they want to come, apparently. If we read this carefully, they want to come and, and rescue him. Bring him home. Take care of him. They don't like it that people think he's possessed. I mean, he's crazy. He's out of his mind. Or in some scriptures it says, the old way of saying it, he's beside himself. Or he's outside of himself. Well, they must be coming from Nazareth, his hometown, because there's other passages of Scripture where he goes to Nazareth and preaches and they reject him. So his family's already online that, that perhaps there's something going on here they don't understand with Jesus, and others don't understand it, and they're worried about him. So here he is in Capernaum, the day's journey or so away. And they're going to rescue him. And they find him with a crowd around him again. I can only imagine, it doesn't say, but I can only imagine how alarmed they must be. Oh my goodness, look at this crowd. And, and listen to those people over there who are, who are criticizing him. 
And actually, we don't know that his family understands him any better. They worried about him. So they send messages in. Now, Jesus, Jesus has this characteristic thing throughout all of the scriptures where he takes whatever happens and changes it into a situation where he can teach something. So here are his mother, his brothers, and his sister, and I'm sure he loves them. They're his family. I, I don't know. That doesn't say he loves them, but I, I'm pretty sure he does. He cares about these folks who are not part of his inner circle. They aren't traveling with him. They aren't part of that crowd that's listening to him with bated breath, so to speak. And they aren't those that are criticizing him. They're just family, and they love him. But he takes the opportunity to teach something to this crowd around him and those who are criticizing him. Look around you. This is my brothers, my sisters, my mother. These are the people who are part of the family. And I equate that with my church, the family of God. The people who care about everything about our faith, who are willing to be here today, and I want to be part of that. I so much wanted as I retired to become part of a family of God that was my family of God, my group. I mean, I have made a few friends over the years in other congregations, but Basically, when a pastor leaves a congregation, you know this if you've been around the church very long, they leave most of that behind. Those really close relationships are gone. So I understand what Jesus is saying here is that these people who are sitting there at his feet, so to speak, listening to him and learning, they're his family. They're the people who care so much about what he has to say. His family out there outside, they, they believe that he's important to them. But they aren't listening to his teaching. They're just worried about him. Now, let's be fair about family, about Jesus' family. How are they in relation to his teaching and to his being the Christ, the Son of God? How do they relate to that? We don't always know, but there are clues. Number one, when he is crucified, it says in his Gospels that Mary, his mother, was there. She has stayed close to him physically through all these years. Number two, you call the 12 disciples together and none of them are his immediate family. They're people he's called together. But when you read the book of Acts and the writings of Paul the Apostle, you find that the head of the church in Jerusalem is James, his brother. Not James, one of the twelve, but James, the brother of Jesus. When did James become a follower of Christ, a follower of his brother Jesus? We don't know. But at some point he did. This is the importance of family. And family is equated with home in a sense. 
I remember Robert Frost's poem, The Death of the Hired Man. Many of you may have studied it in school or read it, if you like poetry like I do. The one line that just sticks in my mind there is the one, that if I, if I quote it correctly, which I may not. Home is the place that when you have to go there, they have to take you in. Please, here I am, take me in. <laughs> I want this to be my family, my home. It isn't a matter of blood relations. Certainly we think of family as blood relations a lot of times, or at least the legal obligation of being married and finding a family together. But it's more than that sometimes. I remember my great aunt Anna, my grandmother's sister. She was divorced way back in the era when if you got that, you didn't go to church anymore because they didn't, they rejected you. She was not an unspiritual person, but she was rather quiet about it. She remarried my Uncle Pete, who died back in the 50s when I was a kid. I loved him. He took me fishing. <laughs> but then as I got to be a teenager, something strange happened. The family began to kind of talk a little differently about Aunt Anna. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally I asked my mother, and she said, well... And Anna's first husband is critically ill and dying, and he had no one, and she took him in to see after him in his final months. Home is where when you go have to go there, they have to take you in, and she did. And that witness of her willingness to do that always impressed me and it helped define for me what family was and I've seen it after 40 years of preaching I've seen this over and over that the circle of people around you is your family one congregation early on in my ministry when I was a young pup of a pastor and didn't know what I was doing I said something about a family dinner was having a church and an older lady probably my age right now, <laughs> came up to me after church. She said, I know it's a family dinner, and I know that even those of us who don't have any relatives around us are welcome to come, but can I bring my family? I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I live in this retirement complex over here, and I have five really good friends, and they're my family. Can I bring them? I said, absolutely. That was her family. The witness of this scripture passage is, family blood relatives that care so much about you those who care so much so much about you that surround you those who care about you God has blessed us with all kinds of families my prayer would be that each of us knows who our family is and has found it whether it be genealogical relationships or just relationships. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, come help us be part of your family.
and therefore part of one another's family. By the power of your Spirit, by your presence in our lives, in the lives of those around us, we become that complete family of God, that family that cares about us and that we care about. Thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks once again for joining us on The Gathering Podcast. Grace and peace, y'all.